In this episode of Emerge, I'm speaking with Stephen Reed. Stephen Reed and his co-conspirators at the UK Psychedelic Society are pioneering a contemporary reimagining of the ancient art of facilitating transformational experiences using entheogenic substances. In this episode, Stephen and I discuss metamodernism, psychedelics, of course, and what we're going to do with all these empty churches. Please enjoy this episode of Emerge. Welcome to another episode of Emerge. This week, uh, my guest, my conversational partner is Stephen Reed. Stephen, welcome to Emerge. Hey, thanks for having me. Right, yeah. And and so Stephen and I met each other, um, I think, originally because I reached out to you uh, because you were kind of stewarding this project called the Meta Monastery. Right, and it was this kind of coming together of metamodernism, which is this sort of, we'll say, for now, political philosophy, political movement, um, and uh, new kind of co-living situations. Um, and I was really interested in that at the time. I've spent time in monasteries, so I was really excited to, to find perhaps like the one other person on the planet who's like looking at <laughs> monasteries and metamodernism. I was like, oh wow, okay, you know, this person, you know, is it's clearly where, where we should speak to each other. And and you know, we had a really sweet conversation after that. We've been kind of just uh, you know talking and sending each other messages, and um, it feels like we're sort of syncing up. And I think you know, we thought we'd have a kind of open-ended conversation that will hover around generally the topic of, of of psychedelics and this kind of emerging paradigm i think you know often it's referred to that we're going through a kind of renaissance of psychedelics and maybe we can talk a little bit about that set the context but you know, let's just have fun together. Let's just have a real conversation and see what um, what comes out of it. Sounds great. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I would have given a similar background to, to the way that we met, and I just add that I've been listening to the podcast, and uh, it's it's quickly become one of my favorites. I'm really getting a lot out of it, and I'm uh, yeah really enjoying just the kind of the authenticity of it, and. Uh, uh, the sense that you really are managing to draw people into this uh, this space of of, of newness, actually, um, that it, it's it's it rarely feels rehearsed. It feels like people are kind of really you know thinking and working things out as they go, and I've been appreciating that. Mm. Yeah, beautiful, and 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 um, it I, I feel pleasant sensations all over my body hearing hearing <laughs> you say that. You know, because it sounds like yeah, you kind of get what what we're we're trying to do and, and, or what I'm trying to do. Um, and yeah, and I feel like, you know, we're very much on that same wavelength, right? You kind of get it in a really interesting way. And you're also in this metamodern community and yeah, well, first maybe give yourself a little bit of an introduction for people, you know, that are listening, like, where are you coming from? Uh, where are you in the world? Let's just situate, uh, you. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I grew up in London in the UK with a, a pretty happy and, and stable childhood family life. Uh, I went to university to study physics. Uh, and whilst I was at university, uh, both of my parents died within three months of each other from unrelated causes. So that was a very turbulent uh, time in my life. But I, I certainly uh, learned a lot from it and continue to learn a lot from it. Uh, I went on to do a master's in complexity sciences and had funding to, to do a PhD, but, uh, but decided not to at the last minute and instead went to live in France. And when I came back to the UK, I got heavily involved in the climate movement uh, with a group called Climate Camp that were 
Uh, each summer, they would set up a camp at a, a piece of polluting infrastructure and shut it down uh, for you know for a week at a time or something like this. And that was my that just that was my first taste of, of the world of activism and direct action, and it it just blew my mind. And I made all sorts of incredible connections uh, with people I met there. I then uh, went on to set up a group called UK Uncut, which was taking action on austerity, uh, the austerity program that actually still continues under uh, this current government in the UK. And there it was also, you know, something pretty fun and creative. We were closing down the high street stores of companies that were engaged in tax dodging, tax avoidance and evasion using some, uh, uh, some, yeah, some sort of interesting and, and, and fun and colourful ways. Uh, and... Uh, I started working for the New Economics Foundation, an economics think tank during that time. Um, I left that thinking that I would start a campaign on the basic income. Uh, but in the context of thinking about the basic income and why I was interested in it, I I'd, I'd realized that what I was really interested in was was meaning and purpose. <laughs> and mm. and mm. In, in the end, I, I ended up setting up the Psychedelic Society, which is the current project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what and what is the psychedelic society getting up to these days? So the psychedelic society, uh, we now say, believes that the conscious uh, use of uh, uh, so it's, sorry, there's a bit of sound in the background. There is that going to be a problem? Oh, uh, I think it. I think it's all right. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, fine. Um, so we say the psychedelic society believes that the conscious use of psychedelics can help us bring about a more compassionate and joyful world through the healing and growth of the individual. So mm. uh, we're very much interested in the in the in the benefits of these substances and, and spreading awareness of the benefits of these substances. Uh, of course, there's you know plenty of people who are aware of the risks. Um, you know, maybe to a uh, to a slightly you know absurd degree um and we run events in in london and bristol we uh, campaigned for the legal regulation of psychedelics in the uk and the main event really is uh, our main activity of the organization is running psychedelic experience weekends in the netherlands where we take groups of 15 people at a time over two large houses in the countryside outside of amsterdam to experience psilocybin truffles that are legal in the netherlands and I meant I meant to ask you, Daniel, to remind me of your uh, you know, previous experience with psychedelics. Yeah, um, I have had uh, you know pretty substantial experience with psychedelics, um, mostly mushrooms, acid, and ayahuasca more recently. Um, and yeah, actually, it was kind of the way that I found a spiritual path was through a mushrooms experience in college. And so it's been mm-hmm. a really significant part of my development. Um, uh, yeah, so and that's, we, that's we, and we, just a, we, a topic I'm totally fascinated in. Yeah. Were you meditating uh, you know, at, at that point or did, did, it re- did that uh, spark your interest in meditation and other related techniques? It, it sparked it. It sparked it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it really opened my mind to that. Um, yeah, it wasn't really even on my radar before. None okay. Of that kind of thing. Yeah. So, can can how did can I ask you how what was your first trip or how did you get into it if it if it wasn't on your radar? Yeah, yeah, and and um, just this is to my mom. If if for some reason she listens to this episode, uh, happy to talk about this <laughs> with you in person. Uh, so you know you don't hear about this, uh, uh, you know, as a broadcast or whatever. But. Um, uh, uh, yeah, my first experience was I was home from college for the summer and I don't know how it happened, but I got some mushrooms and I took it in my then girlfriend's apartment. She was gone. I was with two of my good friends and they didn't take mushrooms. So they, they kind of sat the trip for me and they had had the experience before and they sort of took care of me. I remember one part of, uh, the journey, was going out onto the lake. My town had a lake in the middle of it, Casanova Lake. And uh, just being in the middle of this lake, as, as I remember it, I don't know how it actually was, but um, as I remember it, um, and, and just being completely gobsmacked by the beauty of nature in a way that mm. I just never, never even had a sense of. I think I was so locked in my head. 
Uh, at least that's you know one way I think I could explain it. But in any case, it was completely transformative. This experience of beauty and just sort of uh, uh, joy and like lightness, like things became less dense just for a moment, mm. long enough for me to see that oh, okay, there's a completely different way of being alive. You know, that is much more mm, enjoyable. Quite simply, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can relate to a lot of that. Yeah, uh, my yeah. first. What was it like? Uh, what was it like for you? Yeah. Uh, well, my, yeah, I uh, I was given my first pill of MDMA at Glastonbury Festival in 2011, which is this this huge festival, the largest one in the UK, um, and uh, by a, by one of my best friends uh, at the time, and it, I was so scared. Uh, I'd never taken any any sort of you know illegal substance before that point uh and i was so scared that actually and he pretended to take the pill and then put it in my back pocket instead mm. and, then, <laughs> and then sort of half an hour later when all the pe other people that i was with uh seemed to be having a pretty good time then i thought okay here we go mm. it's you know <laughs> um and it was yeah it was one of the most memorable uh evenings of my life um but over the next and i took mdma a few more mdma a few more times over the next uh, year to 18 months and ended up developing a strange allergy to it and now every time I take it it seems uh, it makes me itch um, in a quite uncomfortable way and uh, that it was that it was actually that allergy uh, which made me interested so uh, well consider well what other substances are there out there <laughs> MDMA can't be the only one and that actually got me that was how I started reading about psychedelics um, well, and, and other psychoactive substances, but decided that psychedelics sounded the most interesting <laughs> uh, next port of mm. call. And uh, I obtained some, a substance called 2CB, which is a short-acting psychedelic and uh, was, was the favorite of the famous psychedelic chemist Alexander Shulgin. Um, and I took it at another festival. Um, so, yeah, this is a year after um, that first MDMA experience. And MDMA is my only reference point. I and it, it was it kind of it did resemble that for the first half an hour, but then the full psychedelic effects came on, and wow, mm. <laughs> um, mm. I came out a few hours later just being like, "What was that?" Like, and I was I was totally fascinated fascinated from that point onwards. That that first trip, I felt mm. I felt a real sense of. Uh, you know, it, it was cosmic. It was a it was a nighttime trip. Uh, a clear sky. The stars were out, and I felt this uh, this this real sense of, of connectedness to this to the stars. I at this. Hmm. Um, I, I I I I suppose I had always wondered at that point. What, what is the point in the universe being as big as it is? <laughs> um, and but since you know, none of us are ever going to get to go go to these places or see this stuff. And then I realised, oh, maybe that's not true. That night, <laughs> it's just you're, you're not going to do it by you know hopping on board a rocket. You're going to do it by going actually into your own mind. There are some interesting uh, shortcuts in that in, in, in that direction. Yeah. Totally, totally. And, and how would you, um, I, I'm curious how you would describe the difference between MDMA and like a psychedelic or this psychedelic to people that might not have experienced uh, either one or, you know, as a kind of comparison. So MDMA is considered or called an empathogen or empathogen or intactogen. Uh, it's main qualities are a feeling of being high of of well-being of, of pleasant bodily sensations of increased empathy often with desire to kind of touch and, and cuddle uh it's the it's the drug of choice at most raves and and festivals um is also now uh, being investigated as an adjunct to psychotherapy because it can really help people uh, just relax into talking about uh, when talking about challenging issues mm -hmm. uh, it's not considered uh, a psychedelic usually it's not not one of the classical psychedelics at least um, so the, the uh, in, in contrast the classical psychedelics uh, what marks them out almost obviously is this kind of uh, visionary state this they they induce this kind of dreamlike uh, sense of, mm. of reali reality with uh, that uh, yeah that very often includes uh, visual effects both with with eyes open and eyes 
closed. Uh, at higher doses, the, the hallmark of the psychedelic experience is this sense of unity and interconnectedness, this overwhelming sense of, of, of all things being part of some greater whole. And uh, I, I can't say I truly experienced I, that the, the, my, on my very first trip. I think I got hinted it, but subsequently I, I did have stronger trips where um, I, I have had this, this overwhelming sense of of, of unity and uh that that's it's, it's changed my life <laughs> it's yeah truly and, and it's that i think from speak, most people that i speak to that have had experiences with psychedelics do say is that uh, it's, it's something like that that, that remains the most uh, profound uh, effect for totally has, yeah has made the greatest impact on them maybe you can relate to that yeah, well, well, it brings me brings to mind uh, for me. I've been listening to, and we discussed this a little bit, but Michael Pollan, uh, his new book, "How to Change Your Mind," has really been um, bl blowing up in American culture, at least. Um, yeah, here too. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. Okay. Great. And so, I think it's really opened up a space of conversation. Um, and one of the pieces that he keeps um, z zeroing in on is this study around. I think it was end of life care for terminal cancer patients mm -hmm. and but the, the and you i'm sure are very familiar with this but that the 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 experience that did the that eliminated most of the fear of death was this unif i forgot the exact term that he used or that they used in the study but this kind of unification experience you, that you seem to be talking about too yeah unitive yeah yeah, yeah. And, and so is that largely i mean i guess from your perspective is that mostly dose dependent yes uh very much yeah. so okay. that i mean that, that okay. this is not this is not something you're ever going to get on a micro dose of lsd you know <laughs> yeah it's right right and and so the how long have you been doing the ex, the experiences in amsterdam as part of the society's work uh it's they started about a year uh well january 2016 was the first trial one uh, so two and two and a half years now and in that time we've run around 20 weekends and they're now happening every month and they're soon going to be happening more than more than once a month yeah okay cool and so this is really i think um i'd love to spend some time just kind of playing in this space you know one of the pieces that michael pollan uh, ends a lot of his interviews with is this call for new cultural forms essentially through which we can um uh, uh, invite people into these experiences, right? Because really you're, it's, and as Michael Pollan says, it's not the substance that does the good work. It's the experience you have on the substance, which is a subtle, but very significant yeah. uh, <laughs> difference, right? And maybe you can, uh, I guess, give, give us some context, right? Like what, um, what is the experience, the psychedelic experience like, like what, uh, what happens tends to happen for people on it? Who tends to go? I'm just so curious just to hear more about what that is like. Well, f first, I absolutely agree that um, these uh, that psychedelics often referred to as substances, but I think more usefully, perhaps they're thought of as experiences or, pra or practices, cultural practices. Um, the substance is only one sort of element of, of, um, of all of these things. Um, so, yeah, the at the weekends it's groups of 15 people um that people people make an application on the website beforehand where we get to we ask questions about their physical health and their mental health and their previous experience with various substances and we're very careful in putting together uh the you know, the right group of people uh, uh, at the moment, if people have complicated uh, mental health conditions, then unfortunately they are uh, they are turned down uh, and referred to some of the studies that are going on at Johns Hopkins or Imperial and so on, because um, we we're not trained mental health professionals. We we make that clear. Uh, so. 15 people will meet on the uh, on the Friday afternoon in Amsterdam and we'll head back out to uh, a venue, a you know, large house in the countryside outside of Amsterdam. And uh, we'll spend the, the Friday night cooking dinner together, uh, having an, an opening circle where everyone says a bit about why, they, why they're there and what they're interested in, in psychedelics 
is and what they hope to get out of the weekend. After dinner, we would uh, play some, sim- some simple games, do some simple exercises to help people feel further comfortable with one another. Uh, then the Saturday, the Saturday daytime, we wake up and begin with some yoga and meditation. Uh, there's then another circle uh, where if people have some intention for the trip, then they can express that intention. And the participants take the truffles around 11 a.m. by midday. Uh, so, yeah, as I said, a group of 15, and we have uh, uh, at least one facilitator for every three participants. So it's usually th- uh, three facilitators, and they stay sober that the entire time they don't take any of the truffles. Uh, these are, the facilitators are all very experienced with psychedelics and uh, with expertise in various other related techniques. They may be very dedicated meditators or experienced with yoga or breath work or other, or other forms of body work uh, or knowledge, very knowledgeable about mushrooms or just whatever it might be there's a uh, there's a, a range of things that uh, of skills that the facilitators bring um, so yeah it's a, it's a daytime trip the trip lasts from between four and six hours so from around midday to around five six p.m and uh, during this time there's a central space with music playing it's a playlist that was especially designed by the team at imperial college london uh, for their studies with psilocybin and that, that that's the music is really very important it's, the music what, what, is really I'm curious, what's what, what is the holding space what, what is the music in this case is it uh, it's, 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 it's new it's age or varied. more classical no it's <laughs> no it, well, it, well, yeah, all, all sorts it's, it's hugely varied and that's part of the beauty of it you can never quite tell what's coming next but it is designed <sighs> to evoke a, a wide range of emotion uh you know it was, it was uh-huh. designed it was designed to, for use or or, or it's, uh, for studies with people that may be suffering from depression and anxiety uh uh-huh. so um is that, is that on spotify it's, 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 you get is that available it is yeah <laughs> it's created it was created by a guy called mendel kalen uh and he's he posts various mixes on his Mixcloud page. So if you search Mendel Kalin Mixcloud, you'll, 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 yeah, you'll find some good stuff. Um, I'll, I'll put that in the show Yeah. Though I should say, if, if anyone's thinking of coming on a psychedelic experience weekend, you might not want to listen to it. So you get the, you know, you get oh, yeah. the, sort of the full surprise um, <laughs> at, at the weekend, but I'll, I'll leave okay. it up to you. But um, so dur- yeah, that, during this, during this four to six hours, uh, the facilitators yeah. are on hand to, to uh, yeah, everything uh, and anything they can to make the participants feel safe and, and secure and, and happy. And well, I, I say, and I say happy, of course, almost everyone has uh, challenging parts of the trip. Uh, this you know, very often there's, there's real sadness and, you know, and, and grief that, that, that comes out that the music might trigger. Um, mm. uh, and it's, it's a sensitive skill on behalf of the facilitators to understand when someone's in a uh, going through a, a kind of a useful grief process, or if they're if they're show if they're showing uh, you know, some real emotion, that actually it's best to kind of let someone really work with that and move through it, or perhaps when it's reached a point where. Okay, you know, maybe a hand on the shoulder and a cup of tea or something, or would would be welcome at this point. And that's something. That's a skill that's that's developed over time, and you know, in the context of of using these substances and and sitting people that are using these substances, it's really a very subtle thing. And like uh, what I can say is that we are getting brilliant feedback from these mm. weekends. So we're, I think we're we're doing something right. And, um, we. Uh, they, they they truly are a, a, a labour of love. They uh, the psychedelic society, the organisation that hosts and runs them, is a is a non profit organisation. Uh, we charge basically as little as we possibly can, and the and the facilitators are paid um, you know, a very standard rate for their time. Um, everyone involved is doing this because we truly believe in the potential these substances for for healing, for growth, for self development. And yeah, it's it's a huge privilege to uh, to be involved in this program. Yeah, wonderful. Um, 
thank you for sharing all that. And uh, there's a number of different directions that I would love to go in right now. Can I ask you something first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please. Which is, so you, you you mentioned uh, well a solo trip or a trip where you were you know you, were, there were, you had a couple of sitters around. But how much, do you have experience of uh, of group psychedelic experiences? Um, m- only I think with ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, only with ayahuasca. Um, yeah, I'm very interested in exploring it, but uh, that's been the only really like kind of uh, uh, hyper intentional group context that I've used yeah. psychedelics in. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting uh, that uh, if there were if there were ever uh, sort of traditional ways of using psilocybin mushrooms in Northern Europe, uh, the, the, these this knowledge has been lost, it seems. Um, mm. you know, and we and we've <laughs> we've you know, we've done some research and done some and been looking to see whether there are various uh, traditions we can draw. And that's at the very least is is nothing like as strong as the ayahuasca tradition in South America, where people claim there's been a kind of unbroken, uh, you know, line of of shamans for thousands of years potentially. So, uh, yeah, it is very much a case of sort of reinventing ritual, reinventing tradition with this. Yeah psychedelic substance that grows natively indigenously to Europe and, and, you know, and North America in most parts of the world, in fact. Um, and that's a fascinating process to work, to work out what, uh, what psychedelic ritual does look like in the 21st century. Yeah. And also um, a related question, which I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are like, what is it for? Right. I, I imagine that, you know, they had a certain conception of what, these rituals were for in the cultural and social context throughout history that they appeared in, right? Like they had a particular thing that they, that, that people thought that these rituals achieved in like ancient Greece, right? That, that, mm-hmm. that helped provide social order or something. What, what is the kind of uh, thinking around that right now for you? I, th- I think we are uh, to ask what, what ritual is for might almost to be uh, uh, might sound quite backward to to people of of ancient Greece and you know and, and many sort of ancient peoples that um, I sense that in the past uh, ritual was life ritual was the purpose of life ritual was ritual was for nothing beyond itself and in fact the whole of the whole of the rest of life was was gearing up to these you know to the the these these feasts these rituals these ceremonies um that, that in some sense made life worth living um and the uh the yeah this so that it was the eleusinian mysteries in uh in in greece i think you alluded to there and this was a this was a place just uh just like sort of 10 miles north of athens um uh where there's evidence that some psychedelic substance was used as part of a ritual that potentially thousands of people participated in each year and came from a long way to participate in and as much as we understand this was the this was the uh, recreation or acting out of a the myth the myth of uh, of, an, of an abduction of uh, Persephone uh, and who was you know, taken into the underworld by Hades and then eventually was allowed back up into uh, the world of light and it's, it's it's a myth that represents the, the passing seasons um, the, the very barren four uh, months in Greece that uh, it's it's too hot for anything to grow and then finally the, the rains come and, uh, and you know people things start growing people have food again um, mm. and I I, th- I think that I yeah I have some sense that the, the loss of ritual and, and is and, and of course ritual often being connected to natural cycles and the natural world is of, of very great importance um, to you know, yes. to the predicament we we find ourselves in in many ways. Yeah, yeah, I have that same that same sense, um, and you know there there is this. Uh, we have this common uh, kind of philosophical orientation in the uh, the listening society and metamodernism. Um, this sense of that 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 we're 
the future of our civilization is to some degree bound up in the well-being of each individual human Mm -hmm. and the collective of humans in general. And I'm curious if you have thoughts about what role these 21st century kind of psychedelic experiences might have in that sort of political project. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think uh, that's true that our, the future is bound up in our connection to other humans. But I mean, I, in, in a meta modern thinker might say all sentient beings, um, mm-hmm. and, and and include, and that gets you know touches on what we were talking about before about uh, appreciating cycles of the natural world and uh, you know, non non human beings as being fundamental to the well being of all. Um, but in terms of uh, the, the human world and world of politics then yeah there's some fascinating uh debate going on on around this topic at the moment so psychedelics like meditation actually have been shown in peer-reviewed studies to produce sustained and measurable increases in the personality domain of openness uh, which is one of the big the big five so-called big five personality attributes the big five being the kind of current leading model of of personality that's uh, statistically robust um, this is this is interesting because there are very few techniques, very few practices that can uh, cause persistent changes in these core personalities, base personality types mm-hmm. after around the age of thirty. Mm-hmm. So f- that people have found psychedelics can do this is you know is potentially very significant, um, and uh, the the openness is a personality attribute correlated with with tolerance. Uh, anti-correlated with pr- prejudice and authoritarian behavior. Um, so you know, for, for someone like me, I, I, I look at that and think, wow, fantastic. You know, we, <laughs> if we can uh, just get everyone to, to take these substances or engage in these practices and uh, become more open and more tolerant, then, you know, job done in a way but yeah, um, right right, right. Which, which brings to mind uh, the, the, the kind of let's spike <laughs> the water supply you know kind of sensibility uh-huh, of the 60s uh-huh. so well, it's the presence yeah. presence that and and kind of keep and but we're going to keep unfolding this so it's not that but let's sure. just sure. Well, it's acknowledge not, that it, it's i can i i i mean i can yeah i'm, I'm happy to put a note in there saying that uh you know a key part of the so-called psychedelic renaissance over these past mm. years, in contrast to the seventies, is is a whole you know is is very much understanding the importance of of, uh, of you know the context of use of yes. these substances. That no one no one suggests, no one even thinks for a second that you know something like putting LSD in the water supply would do any good at all. Because we understand how important it is that these experiences happen under the care of uh, or in places where people feel safe and feel prepared for the experience so um yeah we've we fortunately moved on uh past that narrative of of, of the summer and love of so on um <laughs> but you know but 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 but, but, and, but but you know it's actually what uh what we can say is no they weren't um they weren't all uh, they weren't all wrong that this feeling perhaps that they had and they didn't maybe didn't have as, as much science back at the time that psychedelics would help people to become more open and more tolerant essentially essentially over the past years yes that you know that's proved that indeed is correct <laughs> but uh, but the the uh the interesting uh position we're in now and you know debate that's really only unfolding over the past months is um so it's essentially to do with the the, the, the network effects of of this. Um, the but, well, both of us, and we can use both of us as an example that we both came to psychedelics through through friends. Mm. Um, uh, if most people that are take uh, come to take psychedelics are already to a certain degree open-minded and are being introduced to them by open-minded friends and so on. Uh, and then they, these substances further increase their openness. Um, then there's a, there's a possibility, it seems to me and, and others, that actually we could have something of a, of a kind of divergence of openness of this personality attribute of openness in society where the, where the, where the communities, uh, that are, that are using these substances, you know, head, head in one direction. And, but there are many, many people in the world that don't, you know, aren't meditating, 
don't use psychedelics, don't have anyone that would introduce them to psychedelics, and so uh, and so remain in uh, you know potentially quite low in this trait of openness. And and then I think that's a fascinating question: what what, what does that look like? What does it, what does a world where you have this you know hyperdivergence in this personality domain look like? I'm curious for your thoughts on that. Do you think that's a realistic proposition? And and what what does that where does that go? Yeah, it's a fascinating and curious question for sure. I, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is that to a certain degree that that seems to already have and be happening. You know, yeah. they can correlate, at least in the US, I know, political party affiliation to trade openness. You know, Democrats mm-hmm. being typically more open, conservatives, uh, Republicans uh, being less so. Um, and there's also the phenomenon of, of you know, uh, creative, uh, uh, creative cities and creative culture where people all move to Boulder like I did or, or San Francisco. You know, yeah. we self-segregate. And then in those self-segregated yeah. places, that divergence, I think, can even accelerate, right? Like if you're in San Francisco, you have access to all the kind of like proto-transhumanist tech and uh, practices and meditation. And then the folks who stay in, you know, uh, uh, rural Kansas don't really see any of that. None of their friends are doing that because the friends that would have have already left and gone to San Francisco, you know, so there's this kind of, like you say, there's this fracturing and, and, and polarizing and it, 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 it's kind of, you know, just thinking about it right now, it's, it's, it's a little frightening. Like what, what, uh, Mm -hmm. what happens as that unfolds, I Mm -hmm. guess. Um, Well, and yeah, please, yeah, if, yeah. Maybe Trump happens potentially. You know, it's is if you're saying it's this is already a phenomenon. So, um, so, uh, but I, I suppose we can say, but there's, uh, it seems to me psychedelics still have some potential to do some good here, given that they and and one one angle, of course, is that they uh, are. Also, and this actually, I think these things are related, um, a very promising treatment for depression and anxiety and uh, a very uh, likely way in which psychedelics will first become available in Western societies is through medicalization in much the same way as cannabis. And I mean, cannabis is an interesting example. I have a. Am, am I right? In, because of course, it's still illegal in the UK. But am I right in thinking that in the US, it's it's becoming more and more accepted, and more and more people maybe outside of the uh, you know the the, the, kind of the, the the stereotype are starting to use this and starting to understand its benefits. Definitely, yeah, that is definitely happening. Yep. Yeah. So I, I wonder if you know that uh, it just it, it it takes some time and. Um, but it's it, certainly it's something that I think requires some some thought about how um, in or just some acknowledgement that in actually the short term <laughs> this this use of psychedelics amongst already open and liberal communities could in, it could potentially be making our situation worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how, yeah. How 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 do how do we get these substances and or more generally practices to the people that might benefit from the most? And I, and, I, and ultimately, I and ultimately, I do think it is benefit. You know, because some it, it's uh, I uh, it's yeah it's 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 tricky to to suggest that I would want someone to take a psychedelic to change their political point of views that isn't you know that isn't the that isn't why i want them to take it i want fundamentally i want them to take it because i truly believe it can help people become happier healthier human beings uh with a more holistic and integrated view of the world as a side effect it may change their political views um and i'm down with it on that basis (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which is a similar um, kind of thing that might be said about something like meditation, right? And um, mm-hmm. in fact, very similar kind of um, uh, psychoactive effects of long-term meditation is that it makes you more open. Um, uh, and and one uh, one other piece I'll kind of throw into the mix is uh, one of the other elements that Michael Pollan has been stressing is this idea of the brain as being a kind of balance between... I think he says like entropy and order, right? Mm-hmm. And that some brains can 
become too rigid, essentially too much order and, and certain disorders arise from that. I think like perhaps depression and anxiety. And then there are obviously disorders on the other end of the spectrum, uh, too much kind of openness or chaos or entropy. And, and, um, so instead that we want to kind of break down if you get too far over to one side or the other, um, which makes sense. You know, I see a lot of people in very liberal, open meditation, psychedelic world who, you know, could probably do with a week in a boot camp or a, uh, right, you know, right, really, right. Good, really good personal <laughs> development, uh, like productivity yeah. training or, yeah, very good, or a week very in a monastery, good, yeah. actually, to be honest. Yeah. Like you could spend uh -huh. some time in a monastery and it would help. It helped me to do that. Um, yeah. And so there might be a more of a kind of conversational, like appropriateness that might be emerging. Yeah. I don't know. How does that land or what, what, what does that bring up for you? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, and uh, I mean, the, the, the monastery thing is interesting, right? Because when you're in the monastery, you most presumably, you know, there was a heavy dose of meditation. Um, but yeah, I see what you mean. It was, it was done in this like very structured um, way, presumably. And uh, if, uh, but yeah, I, well, I totally relate to this sense that um, some, sometimes some people, not least myself, <laughs> um, could do with a, a week in a boot camp or something like it. And that this, uh, it's, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting, and I don't think any uh, either of us would, any metamodern thinker would suggest that uh, there's you know one personality attribute to rule them all um, that. Uh, that it very very much is about uh, achieving, hmm, yeah, balance in these things. But and well, or or more, you know, transcending, going beyond uh, even this uh, the this very idea that the 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 a useful or the most useful way of describing human beings is is in terms of an isolated individual with a certain set of numbers that describe how they function and taking a more transpersonal perspective on this um, and that i mean that's uh yeah that's that's fertile ground as well for sure totally yeah and what brings to mind for me is that there's kind of or that the, the pragmatist in me thinks um so there's a way in which I hope someday psychedelics might be used by modern culture. And then there's like now in the next five years and the kind of context in which I imagine that they will be used or could be used, right? It won't be, I don't think, one of self-transcendence or you know, just, I want to have a more meaningful life. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't, I don't know, but it, it, it seems much more likely that it'll be a treatment for disorders, um, which could be very, uh, uh, something that almost anybody in the modern world, <laughs> you know, could, could prescri self prescribe themselves like anxiety or depression. Uh, there's, I mean, there's some fascinating stuff here. First, first of all, the, the line between you know, so-called medical use and recreational use and spiritual use is very blurry indeed. There's, yeah. and uh, you know, pe uh, people, I absolutely, they can all be the same thing. For, and even, even with, even it doesn't have to be the psychedelics as well. I, I believe that people taking MDMA and going to a rave, for example, can could be both. You know, it's well, people might first view it as recreational, but it could be medical, could be healing in some way for them, and it could they could have a kind of spiritual experience of connectedness with the other bodies moving in unison around them. So, uh, I think we have to be careful about drawing uh, you know distinctions between these uh, different me methods of use, um, and uh, there's. But yeah, as we mentioned earlier, this uh, it's this sense of the, of unity and interconnectedness that has uh, has been the most profound and lasting effect of psychedelic substances for me, and is actually yeah, it's, it's inspired my interest in uh, Eastern wisdom traditions, non-duality. I went, I actually subsequently ended up attending Science and Non-Duality Conference in California, which was a, a really fantastic week yeah very important week for me um and there's uh it's at, at best these uh, these 
practices entail a kind of natural empathy. If you if you truly see others, and that doesn't you know, it's human others and non-human others as yourself, then there's no question about whether you you take care of that person or that thing. It's if you're if you wake up in the morning and you're you're hungry, you don't consider biting your own finger off to satisfy your hunger. You know, you ha- it's uh, and there's there's potentially something similar going on with these practices that they 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 can expand our our sense of self and 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 resolve resolve questions uh, but you know uh, uh, the the some that in a previous worldview you know very uh, e- you know individual egotistical worldview seems almost insoluble entirely insoluble they kind of naturally resolve them sometimes in a way which um, is uh, yeah off currently at least uh, beyond language you know this in- the ineffability of these experiences is another uh, Seen as another core part of them, but um, I'm uh, yeah. I mean, I find the ineffability interesting. I wonder whether that's simply the case that uh, we don't have, uh, or, or whether we may develop new and new language to describe these experiences over time. If enough of us are using these experiences and, and paying close enough attention to them, um, I, I so just uh, a few weeks ago I participated at study at Imperial College London where. I received uh, intravenous uh, DMT in an MRI scanner, uh, and they uh, they scan they're scanning brains whilst people have this very short sort of four or five minute DMT experience, and then as quickly as possible they take you out of the scanner and into an interview room and say, "Okay, what happened? What do you what what, what do you remember?" And and now who did you talk so we to? Are, we are yeah. T- <laughs> who did yeah? Who did you, what, who did you talk to? What, what what did you meet? What did, yeah? And, and and this 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 kind of this kind of systematic research of these psychedelic visionary states that often seem truly like other worlds has uh, is only just beginning and that that i think mm. is, is fascinating you know that we've had we've had a decade of research on yeah. sort of the, med, the med, medical applications of psychedelics but but uh but it, it is there something beyond that i think very i think very probably there is that um that that psychedelics will become an uh, an area of uh, of just of just fascination and exploration and discovery um, for the human race in in the decades to come. Not simply a, um, a, you know, a medical uh, technique and so on. And that's uh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I got I got like chills just hearing the idea of that possible future and you know, two things come to mind for me. One is that, you know, this idea that we might be able to kind of make effable that which is currently ineffable is, you know, there's a degree to which that that is um, proven out by like meditation, right? Like there's very sophisticated linguistic mm, mm. Uh, creations, essentially, or discoveries that people have made in terms of how to speak about these, what seem like ineffable experiences. Obviously, you can't ever say them in a way that is the same as the experience itself, but you can start to really have useful conversations um, and and kind of understand the physics and dynamics of it more. Uh, So that's one piece. And then the other thing that was just so striking in what you said is um, this idea that we might begin by using these substances to resolve things that appeared medical, but I think you said like are in fact, or were in fact discovered to be spiritual and and that the same might be true for politics, right? Like so many Mm -hmm. of the problems, so to speak, or the tensions Mm -hmm. we experience in the political realm, you know, we think of them as political problems, but perhaps Mm -hmm. they're spiritual ones. I've, I've, yeah, that really resonates with me. Uh, um, And there's something quite, quite zen about it you know that um sometimes that sometimes the solution is to to walk in the other direction or or, or you know look in the place you least expect for for the answer in it and it it, it kind of feels like the way for me and uh in, with the political situations in both of our countries at least uh that, that it just feels a, a total there's a, a well, that's more familiar with uh, situation with UK in the UK at the moment with Brexit. It's it's just total 
stalemate like no, the political life in the country is absolutely ground to a halt and uh i think very probably it will take something from out you know outside of the field as as currently conceived to to move things forward and i think and actually yeah and i think some of these it could very well be some of these techniques and 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 practices uh in ways that i don't uh i can't fully anticipate yet but um it's uh there's 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 power in them clearly and and it's they're in, they're spreading incredibly quickly is my sense as well the, the, the it, and one one indicator of that is the uh the amount of which they're discussed in in some very popular podcasts <laughs> like this one perhaps <laughs> but um but you know, but uh you know tim ferris and joe rogan and aubrey marcus and they're, they're building up followings of you know hundreds of thousands millions of, of listeners um that talk very openly about these experiences they've they've almost become like you wouldn't know they were illegal actually the substances that were given like given the frequency the, the frequency and casual nature in which they're now discussed amongst this certain community at least and that that, that has an effect you know there's a, there's an there's a process of cultural normalization going on and yeah psychedelics and meditation as well meditation you know for, for, for at various times and to various people has probably been considered a bit of a kind of a, a weird thing to do a bit of a, a waste of time if you like but um what were what, what, the, these practices are just becoming something that yeah just of course if, if well you find what works for you and then you integrate it as part of your daily life as part of your daily routine because you understand that it it, it makes you into a happier healthy healthier human and by being that uh, that that you know more developed individual you can actually have a uh, an impact on the world around you uh, uh, that it that this this increasing sense that it, it does start with us and actually that speaks to um speaks to some of jordan peterson's stuff as well right like you know tidy your own room first and uh, whilst i don't uh i uh, i think he often sort of emphasizes that too much and moves too far in that direction um, by saying you know you have to go to these really quite extreme degrees before you can even contemplate thinking about or talking about politics um which i don't think is right i think uh it's yeah it's uh there's i think there's something there at what point will will politicians start becoming questioned on their their use of psychedelics and meditation and so on as a (laughs) marker about whether they're suitable for office not whether not no not whether they're unsuitable but whether they're suitable and i think i I think that i think that day is actually not that far away i I hope you're right. That is a beautiful thought <laughs> and, and one that I have not thought before and I, I, I very much enjoy it. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And and I think it's true. I mean, I I, I do think it's generational, right? Like the that you point to like Aubrey Marcus and Tim Ferriss and, you know, it's a certain demographic, at least in the US. Um, but yeah. it's a demographic that, at least in the United States, millennials are going to be the voting majority in 2020. Right. right. So I think we we have yet to really reckon with the power of the this demographic and their very different sensibilities around things like psychedelics um, and the, all the contingent pieces therein. And it's it's very curious. Uh, I, yeah, I'll be very curious to see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if if that, so, if that 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 flip can happen. Yeah. So I mean, you've, it seems you've had a bit of an impromptu coming out about psychedelics on on this episode, actually. It's, it's um, I'm, I'm, so I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, cu- I'm curious for. I mean, of course, I'm. I, I given the organisation that I'm, I'm working with, I'm totally <laughs> open about my use of these substances. But how, how does that work for you? Like, how, where, who do you talk to about these things, or, or, or what makes you feel comfortable talking about them? Well, totally. And, and what, what has made me comfortable is, is to a certain degree, um, I think exactly what you said, you know, that I have this uh, local and non-local networks that I'm a part of, including people like Tim Ferriss and, you know, my friend uh, Vincent Horn, who he started this podcast, Buddhist Geeks, uh, uh, has come out and, and you know, said, yeah, like the, this has been a big part of my growth journey. And just the kind of 
drip, drip, drip of more and more people saying, hey, yeah, this is a thing. This has been a part of my growth. Um, you know, when you asked, I did a quick calculation in my head, <laughs> I think, and and just decided like, yeah, well, I mean, I talk about all kinds of crazy stuff on here. Like psychedelics is not even in my mind that controversial, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. Like the political stuff, I think, is much more controversial in a lot of respects. Right. Um, and yeah, so, uh, but but then again, m many, many, many people aren't in that kind of situation where they have social proof that they can look around and know that mm -hmm. even if some people reject them for that, that they'll still be safe, you know? And so uh, I think also there's this idea that just if I share it, maybe one other person will also feel comfortable sharing it because I'll be that social proof for somebody else and on and on and on uh, as part of this kind of, yeah, the sea change that is happening, this renaissance that is happening, if we want to call it that. Yeah. The, I'm, I'll, I'll drop something uh, new in. Something else I've been very interested in reading about over the past weeks is the, uh, uh, the work of this chap, Jamie Wheel, on the Flow Genome Project, um, who's uh, wrote this book, Stealing Fire, and is cataloging uh, ecstatic states. And this has a lot. This has a lot in common with the uh, with the so-called mystical spiritual type experience that you read a lot about in modern psychedelic literature, including in a lot of the scientific literature. But this definition of ecstatic states is, or flow states, uh, as he as as he calls them, also is is slightly broader still and includes things. Yes, like meditation and, and psychedelics, but also uh, like you know, you know surfing and uh, various you know athletic endeavors and pursuits of really being in the zone before a hundred meter race or whatever it might be, and sex and and dance and so on. And um, I think I think that's where this is is heading really, like um, is towards a more uh, holistic and integrated and broader understanding of, of ecstatic uh, states as, as a whole. Um, uh, where where uh, where these uh, where psychedelics in will will we'll very soon I think be seen as uh, not you know not that interesting and and, and in a sense I've, I've sometimes told people my 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 you know the job of the psychedelic society is to make psychedelics boring and mm. to make them it's just just they're just one they're just one more technique one more practice that people use to achieve these kinds of ecstatic states which and but these ecstatic states are, are recognised as as in, you know, real, intensely real, <laughs> more, more real than real than than um, you might say than, than most of waking life, and as a, uh, a valuable, meaningful way to, uh, to to pursue, you know, to conduct one's life and is to be in the pursuit of these, and um, and that, that kind of link, makes me think back to the discussion on on ritual that there's most rituals or the culmination of ri of most rituals is to reach some kind of ecstatic state whether that's through mm. you know dance or dr drumming or chanting or whatever and um so yeah i i, I hope the future is is one of uh, greater ritual of greater ecstasy and yes. uh, through these things greater connection with the natural world that uh, uh, seems to be like a good direction of travel for me yeah, yeah, and, and in a sense, what you're talking about is a kind of uh, even deeper secularization of these practices, right? That they become very humanistic and very like uh, present in our world, our day to day world, in the same way that like you know uh, the Starhawks football team or uh, practices meditation and uses mindfulness, and uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. there's that level of normalization. And I guess how. This is a question that I, I would be very curious to hear your thoughts on, um, which is uh, how how are we how could we fuck this up? You know, like it does feel like we're on a good trajectory right now as far as normalization and legalization, <laughs> but like how is it that humanity is going to take a real wrong step? <laughs> well, um, we've mentioned we've talked about the um, this divergence phenomenon um which i think we have to be mindful of and careful of um there's the there's just the more basic stuff of um of not repeating the mistakes from the 70s and making sure that people do pay very close attention to the mindset with which they go into these experiences the the environment the setting in which they take them the dose at which they're using uh, these substances um 
How else might we fuck it up? I uh, I think it's at the psychedelic society we uh, so as we spoke about we we are offering these facilitated psychedelic experiences, but we are uh, we work in close collaboration with the various universities, particularly in the UK, that are doing excellent psychedelic research and our priority is not to do anything that would possibly jeopardize that research because i we still believe what whilst we think that these these experiences can now be offered safely uh we uh the the it seems that the best path to uh to the widest number of people having access to these substances is through medicalization is through the fda or european medicines agencies process and um i think anyone working with these substances anyone you know or just even just anyone that takes them enjoys taking them uh would do well to have that in mind it would it would only it would only take a handful of uh, of people taking uh you know mushrooms or whatever like they maybe they're picked themselves and uh and using them in a in a, in a reckless way that um meant harm to themselves or others that the media caught onto that could could really push this all back make this very difficult so i think any anyone that is using these substances and more generally anyone that is engaging in these practices and i think yeah. for, for for sure for sure i don't think meditation is free of risks as well you know i've seen people that seem Absolutely. to be having sort of borderline psychotic episodes at the end of 10-day silent meditation retreats. So, but any, and anyone that is engaged in these practices or, you know, is in communities of use should consider themselves as having a responsibility, not just to other people that are engaging in this practice, but to to the world, quite frankly, to all the people that may, that may not have used them yet but stand to benefit and are waiting for their to be made available be available in some way. Yeah, yeah. And just to, to rediscover them in a new context that isn't, uh, scary or um, associated with uh, the trauma of the '60s and all these pieces. Like we have an opportunity now to kind mm -hmm. of re reweave these technologies into our cultural yeah. or into our culture in a new way. Reweave re and combine, actually. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I, I think I, I, I think Bitter Geeks did something recently on on sort of actually combining meditation and psychedelics, and uh, there's also a, there's a group in the UK called Cyberdelic that are combining VR and psychedelics. Oh, fascinating. Um, and yeah, we're we're going to witness all sorts of fascinating combinations of these various technologies for ecstasy over the coming years. I'm sure. Yeah, totally. And so um, just if, in case people are interested, uh, one great episode to listen to from Buddhist Geeks is the one with Spring Washam, and she leads uh, combination ayahuasca and meditation retreats and very fascinating exploration of the combination of those two technologies. And I, I guess on that note, like, so you mentioned cyberdelics, is that that's the, the outfit in Europe? Um, and yeah. are there any other um, spaces and people and places that you, you're paying particularly close attention to uh, in the same way? Uh, well, the, actually, the first thing that came to mind is is the Meta Monastery. <laughs> this uh, an idea that uh, I and others sort of dreamt up a few months ago, and we had one one uh, real life meeting uh, in a uh, about twenty of us in a in a location that uh, seemed like it could be suitable. Um, uh, it didn't quite happen at the time, but there's some renewed interest in this idea from people within the metamodern movement. And uh, I see, well, my all indications are that the metamodern movement are uh, understand the potential for mm. these practices, including in using in combination to help people develop to develop in the uh, complexity of their thought. In, to develop in their their well their well being, um, and so yeah, I would I would keep an eye on on the Metamon movement for and and any real life locations or events that come from that as as spaces where uh, you may find these various technologies being combined in interesting ways. Right on, yeah. And one one other name that I'll drop is uh, I think it's called the Astral Ship. I'm sure you must be familiar. With, oh yeah yeah okay that, that they're also kind of and i think what i hear you pointing to is kind of creating new places of experimentation and kind of collaboration and group discovery that leverages 
technologies and combinations of technologies to to perhaps even achieve particular goals, like create X or build Y. Or, yeah. So, so that that so the astral the astral ship is in a church or an old a, a disused church in in Wales, which I mean let's what does this look like at scale? Like when I mean, churches uh, are being huge hugely underutilized. Like the you know the congregations of just a handful of people going gathering in these in these huge and you know, really beautiful spaces. Uh, at what point can we expect these uh, these spaces to be? Uh, in use instead of of places of true kind of ecstatic and spiritual experience, you know, distinguished from simply uh, religious sermon, which yes. uh, is is you know re- you might say rarely I think has some value, but rarely causes people to actually be able to access these these states that um, these other practices can take people to. Uh, yeah, when do we start seeing churches across the UK being used? For uh, you know, for psychedelic experience and um, meditation sessions and virtual reality and all sorts of different things that can take people or give people this this experience of God, if you like. And that's you know that I uh, I I very much think that that the, the, the God is a uh, is an experience rather than something to be you know read about or, or heard about and that these various that at, at best at peak that is what these substances are are giving us a taste of or, or showing us that we are identical with and uh yeah they are they are a tool for the re-spiritualization of society which i think could very well be of very great importance in, in moving forwards fantastic yeah and, and i will just to put a little bow on it uh, just say um, that perhaps God is an experience, but God is also much more than an experience and God can be sermonized, but why not if we can have access to him or her or it as an experience, like let's experience God that way too, you know? And so God is bigger than, than whatever container we put in it, whether it's experience or abstraction, uh, perhaps. But in mm. any case, uh, that vision is, is just so beautiful to me. It's one that I've actually had a number of times, all these churches, even here in Boulder, that huge, beautiful buildings that increasingly look very empty. Somebody will have to do something with those, those spaces and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see who steps yeah. up to, to, to do something beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in any case, Stephen, mm. thank you so much for this conversation. I've, I've learned a lot. It's been really deeply, deeply fascinating. Um, and I've enjoyed getting to know you better. And um, yeah, thank you so much for uh, joining me for this episode. It's been a great pleasure. And I'm looking forward to listening to future episodes and yeah, as they come on.